For those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Justin McVeigh. I'm the student pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies. And I have the pleasure and uh, the honor just to speak with you and to worship with you guys today. So uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 is where we're going to find our hero for today. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Heroes, and we've been looking at the lives of great men and women in the Bible and how we can learn both from their successes and as today we're going to learn how we can learn from their failures. I mean, let's be honest. We've all got things in our lives, instances, situations, decisions that we've made that we're not proud of. Things that if we were to be serious, we would just we would label failure. I mean, there's times in our lives when we've made bad choices, when we found ourselves in a bad circumstance, in a bad situation, somewhere we didn't want to be, somewhere we knew we shouldn't have been. And the result, man, it, it left us scarred. And as a result, we just made decisions. We did things we never wanted to do. We'd hoped we'd never been put in this place. And so many times in those situations, we fall. And we fall hard. And what I've learned as I talk to people and as I go through ministry is that so many people, man, they hang on to that failure. And they take that failure and they let it keep them from everything that God wants for their lives because they've labeled themselves a failure. You see, what happens is that in life sometimes we have those struggles. Maybe it's an addiction. And you keep telling yourself, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to quit. And you do maybe for a little while, but man, you just keep falling and you just can't get over it. So as a result, you look at your life and you say, I'm a failure. I just, I can't beat it. Maybe at some point you you said something hurtful to someone that you cared deeply about and it completely destroyed a relationship. And so now every time the holiday season rolls around, you're reminded by their absence of your actions. And you look at that and you think about what you did and how you let them down, and how you hurt them. And once again, you label yourself failure. Maybe at some point, you were engaged in a business deal that wasn't quite above board. Maybe you got sucked into to cheating on an exam or on a class so that you could get the good grade, but you did something that was dishonest, and you broke the rules, and then you got busted for it. And it not only ruined your career, your education, but it wrecked your self-esteem and it, man, it just destroyed the dreams that you had for your life. And, and every time you think about where you are now and you think about what could have been and, and you look at that past and that mistake, man, you, failure. Maybe you committed adultery. You were unfaithful to a spouse. And maybe Maybe it ended a relationship and divorce happened. And you look back and there's so much you wish you could have done differently. You look back and you feel guilt and shame over your decision. And you wish you could mend the relationship, but you can't. So every time you see that person, you just you hang your head. Failure. Maybe, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you've got kids who are just struggling kids who are making poor choices and you look at that and on some level you feel responsible for that and you feel guilty for that and you look back and there's so much that you think that you could have done different there's so many things you wish you would have said there's so many things you wish you would have done different and you look and every time you see your kids and every time you think about the decisions they've made 
It comes back around. You see, I'm just a failure as a parent. Maybe, maybe you never lived up to the standards, the dreams that your parents had for you. Every time you think about where you are in life, man, you think about how they've branded you and you've branded yourself. Failure. Man, let me tell you, so many Christians, they're right here. So many of us in this place today, we've branded, we've labeled ourselves a failure. And we're letting it drag us down and we're letting it keep us from what God has for our lives. Today, I want to look at a hero. I want to look at the story of a woman who had huge failure in her life, who had been branded by her family, by society, by everyone around her as a failure, but who chose to embrace Christ and who chose to embrace his grace and his forgiveness. And as a result, not only moved past her failure, but lived an amazing life and is someone that we now view as a hero. Her name's Rahab. Rahab was a successful business owner. We know this because of the location of her business there in Joshua chapter 2. We find out that her business, her home, was on the city wall next to the city gate. And as a result, everyone who came in would have seen that. They would have stopped by. They would have seen her signs hanging out. They would have known where her business was. All right, so prime real estate here. Successful businesswoman, all right? She was instrumental in helping the Israelites conquer Jericho. We'll talk a little bit about that story here in a second there in Joshua chapter 2. She is one of only four women listed in the genealogy of Christ, of Jesus, of the Messiah. One of four women. Understand that when Matthew wrote the genealogy and when he compiled uh, the family tree of Jesus, it was, it was completely uncommon and unheard of to include the name of a female, of a woman in that genealogy. It was all about the male lineage. But she is one of only four women included in this line. In James, she's honored as an amazing example of what faith in action looks like. And in Hebrews, in this portion of scripture that's called the Faith Hall of Fame, that, that highlights just amazing men and women, heroes of scripture, Moses and Abraham and all of these, she's listed there because of her faith and because of her actions. You see, in Joshua chapter 2, we have the story, and, and I'll just I'll summarize a lot of it for you because we don't have time to read it all now. But basically what's happened is, is Israel is about to take over the promised land. They're about to move in. And the first city they have to conquer, the first city they have to attack is Jericho. And, and understand, Jericho was a gateway city, which means it had just amazing defenses. Uh, it, was, it was heavily fortified, and so it was going to be just a huge task. So Joshua sends two spies in to spy out Jericho, to sp- find out what the people are saying. Well, uh, the spies are in Jericho, and at some point, word gets back to the king that there are Israeli spies here in Jericho. And someone had seen the spies at Rahab's house. They were there for whatever reason. And so the king sends soldiers to arrest these spies so he can interrogate them and find what's going on. And they're there, and Rahab had to have known who they were. And they're there in her business, and all of a sudden there's pounding on the door. And it's soldiers, and they Rahab, open up. We've heard there's Israeli spies here. And in that moment, Rahab's faced with a choice, a choice that's going to change the outcome, the course of her life. You see, in that moment, 
She can open the door. She can turn over the spies to these soldiers that can be arrested and she can go on living her life. She, she can continue living everything just the same. She can go back to her business. She can go back to her family, everything the same. Or she can risk everything. She can risk everything and somehow choose to help these spies on the hopes that it changes her life. You see, she'd heard about God. She knew about what this God of the Israelites, this God of the Hebrews had done. She'd heard about how he'd parted the Red Sea, about how they had completely destroyed Israel's enemies. And in that moment, Rahab made the choice to embrace the greatness of this God that she had never met and she had only heard of in hopes that one day she would experience his grace. And so she takes the soldiers and she hides them up in the, the roof of her house and then she goes to the door and she opens the door and she says, they're not here anymore. They've left. So the king's soldiers leave. Later, the, the men come down and Rahab says, listen, I understand who your God is. I understand what he can do. In fact, I want to read for you her proclamation, her, her bold statement of faith. It starts in verse 9 there of chapter 2. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Jesus, I've heard about your God, and that's the God I choose. I'm putting aside my past. I'm putting aside everything I was. I'm risking it all for him. I want to surrender my life to him, the supreme God, ruler of everything. And because she is willing to embrace the greatness of all God is and to place her faith in him, she experiences God's grace. She tells the spies, I've helped you, now help me. Spare my family. When you come and when your God destroys Jericho, please spare my family and I. And so they make a deal and they tell Rahab on the day that we march against Jericho, bring your entire family into your home. And then you're going to hang a scarlet cord out the window and, and you and everyone in your house will be saved. And that's exactly what happened. Israel comes, if you know the story of Jericho, and they march around Jericho and then they shout out and the city walls crumble. And they all fall and all of Jericho is destroyed. And you can imagine looking across the city that has just been leveled by the hand of God. There's this one piece of the wall that remains standing. And a window with a scarlet cord hanging out of it. Where Rahab and her family had huddled, praying to God, believing in God. They're basically adopted by the Israelites and she, she meets a man, she gets married, she has kids. Life completely changes for her. She leaves all of her past behind. She has this family, she has kids. and her, In fact, her great-great-grandson uh, is a guy we all know as King David. The guy who would slay Goliath, who would be the greatest king in all of Israel. And, and Rahab becomes a hero. Now, some of you are like, man, that's a great story, but where's, where's the failure in all of that? It sounds like she got it all right. 
Well, remember how I told you she was a successful businesswoman? There's a reason I left out what business she was in. You, you see, uh, in the New Testament and even in Joshua chapter 2 there, they, they highlight that and they let us know. James 2.25, this is a passage in which she is being commended for how her faith was backed up by her works, how she backed up what she believed with how she acted. In James 2.25, James says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Hebrews 11.31, this is in the midst of the Faith Hall of Fame. I mean, he's been talking about guys like Abraham and Moses and Gideon, these great men of faith. And he says it was by faith that Rahab, I mean, she's mentioned with all the heroes, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Yeah, Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know about you, but I think that defines failure. I'm sure society, everyone around her looked at her. They put her down. They judged her. You know, we don't know, but I wonder what her life was like growing up. Because I guarantee you there were other skeletons in her closet. I guarantee you Rahab didn't grow up as a little girl hoping this is what she would become. Hoping this is who she would be one day. The profession, the label that she would wear. I wonder if maybe she grew up with, without a father figure in her life. Or maybe she did have a father figure, but maybe he was an alcoholic and was abusive. Maybe, maybe she wasn't popular at all. Was no good at school. Maybe she was popular, and as a result, she got pregnant at a young age. Maybe she couldn't get pregnant, which was still failure in those days. Maybe she struggled with addiction. Maybe she had an abusive husband. Maybe she cheated on her husband. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I guarantee you there were skeletons in her closet. I guarantee you there was much that led her to the point of prostitution. I guarantee you there was much failure in Rahab's life. But regardless of what brought her to that point, the amazing truth is that God chose to use her despite her failure, despite her past, and to do amazing things in her life. He chose to make her a hero. And understand, here's the truth. God wants to use your failure. And he wants to make you a hero. Here's what I want to do in the time we have remaining. I want to give you five truths about failure. Five, five things that in the midst of your failure that you can hold on to, that you can remember, that, that you, you can help bring you out of that shame and that guilt. Because the Bible says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And when you know the truth about the failure in your life, you know the truth about how God looks at you and how God sees you as his child, as his masterpiece, then all of a sudden you are no longer in bondage and you are no longer enslaved, imprisoned by your failure. The first truth I want you to understand and I want you to get is that failure may drag you down, but nothing can stop God's plan for your life. Nothing can stop God's plan. You see, we may look at your past and see all that failure, but understand the best days of your life may be after that failure. 
Rahab, we see what happened after her failure. She, she, she chose to leave that behind. As in, and as a result, God did amazing things in her life. She chose to respond in faith to listen to God instead of man. And he, he freed her. He freed her from this profession that had been slowly killing her. He, he freed her from the bondage of failure and, and just the oppression and the judgment that other people put on her. Understand the Bible is full of people who failed. Moses murdered a man. David, Rahab's great-great-grandson, he committed adultery and then had a man murdered in order to cover it up. Peter denied Christ publicly in his time of need. God used them not just in spite of their failures, but he used them in the midst of their failures. I mean, think for a second. Why is it that Rahab, of all people, is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ? Here's why. Because God is in the business of using failure. God is in the business of taking... Let me give you an illustration. Here you go. Remember on the playground, how whether it was kickball or dodgeball or basketball or whatever it was you were playing, and, and you'd pick teams, and you'd have the two most athletic, the two coolest kids, the captains, and they'd start to pick teams, and they'd get to the point where they'd picked up all their teams, and they'd go off and play, and there'd be this group left over here. They were the kids who, who didn't get picked, who weren't good enough. They were the failures. Now, as a youth pastor, I, I, I love the chance at retreats and different things. And, and, and we kind of were playing games during rec time and stuff. I'll go and I'll, I'll very specifically, I'll find those kids. I'll be like, come on, guys, you be on my team. You be on my team. And they're like, no, you don't want us on your team. I'm like, oh, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Because I know that I'm still at an age and I'm still athletic enough that we're going to take out these want to be studs over here, right? These kids who think they're so cool. And so I'm like, come on, come on. So we, so we divide up and there's all these cool kids and they think they're just going to take us down. And we kill them. And, and I love it because I've got this group of kids who would never get chosen, whether they're too young or they're, they're not good enough or they're not popular enough. And they're just like, yeah, we killed them. This is awesome. That's what God does. God says, I'm picking the people for my team who no one else wants on their team, who wouldn't get chosen, who didn't get chosen, and we're going to go and we're going to win. I'm going to take and I'm going to use them to do awesome things. I'm going to use them to do amazing things. I'm going to take the things the world uses, failure. I'm going to make them heroes. I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. This is just amazing. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. You had nothing. You, you, you had none of that stuff when God called you. You were no one. You were a failure. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all, failures, and use them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God is in the business of using failure. And why? The second truth, because God loves you more than you can imagine, even when you fail. It's like the, the little kid who they go to great lengths and, and, and they get to the store to, to buy this 
bouquet of flowers for their mom. And they're so proud and they've spent their hard-earned money because they love their mom and they want to give her this gift. And then on the way home, taking these flowers back to their mom, man, everything goes wrong that can go wrong. You know, they're walking down the street and the car drives by and splashes water up and gets the flowers dirty and now they're wet and they're drooping. And then they're chased by the bully or chased by the dog. And as they're running, you know, petals are just flying. And, and, and by the time they get home, man, these flowers aren't much of a bouquet anymore. They're just torn and they're tattered and they're missing petals and they're dirty and they're droopy. And what does mom do? Even though they come up and they're just sheepishly hand them, here, mom. Mom takes them with joy. She says, thank you so much. They're beautiful. And then she takes and she puts them in her best vase. And she sets them in a place of prominence because they're from her child. She sees the heart and she loves it. You see, sometimes we look at our lives and we think, man, I failed so miserably. How could God ever use me? And the world looks at our lives and they say, man, you failed so miserably. You're not good for anything. But God comes and he looks at our lives. He says, I love it. I can use this. Man, come here. Thank you so much for coming to me. God sees a masterpiece. That's why he says, while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our deepest, darkest pit of failure and despair, God came and died for us. Listen, understand today that Your biggest failures are not too big for God's grace. Your biggest failures are not too big for God's grace. Far too many people live consumed and paralyzed by guilt and shame that they are not good enough that God cannot use them. God says, that's not it at all. 1 John 1, 9, John writes, he says, If we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You guys ever remember playing with Etch-a-Sketches back when you were a kid? You remember these, anyone? You know, this is like, this is like redneck iPad right here, you know? <laughs> Actually, even rednecks have iPads nowadays, so this is just... Just kind of one of those crazy toys. But I, I want you to think about it for a second. I, I want you to think about your life as an Etch-A-Sketch. I want you to think about what's been drawn as a picture of your life. What would it say? Would there be pictures of great failure here? Divorce? Addiction? Adultery? Abortion? Great pain, great hurt, great guilt. God says, when I come into your life, I shake things up. And the result, a fresh start. The result is you are forgiven. You are no longer a failure. See, the truth is, number three, that God has forgiven you, but you must accept it. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Other versions say, I will never remember their sins. 
Understand, just get the magnitude of this statement for a second. Understand that God is all-knowing and all-powerful. He knows everything that we do. He sees everything we do. He technically is incapable of forgetting. But he, yet he says, I'll remember it no more. I'll forget it. How is that possible? Understand that the only person, the only being who can limit God is God himself. And because of his love for us, God chooses to humble himself. He chooses to limit himself. He chooses to make himself forget. Understand that an unlimited God makes a choice to limit his memory in regards to your failure. The God, the creator of the universe, the most powerful being, humbles himself out of love for you so that your failure can be erased, so that it be forgotten. Man, the problem is, is that, man, as humans, we suffer from spiritual dyslexia. Here's what I mean by that. We remember all the stuff God wants us to forget. God says, forget about your failure, forget about your past, forget about your sin, forget about your shortcomings, your weakness. Get rid of it. But we dwell on that and we think about that. And because we're dwelling about that, we can't think on the things that God wants us to think on. God says, remember the fact that I've forgiven you. Remember the fact that you're my child. Remember the fact that your failure, man, it's gone now. But we're so busy focusing on all the bad stuff that we can't see what God has done for us. Man, God forgives us, but we have to accept it. We have to embrace what he's done in our lives. I love what God says in Isaiah chapter 43. He's speaking to the children of Israel through Isaiah, and he says, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? God says, I've forgiven you. Forget about it. Put it behind you because it's time to start something new. Open your eyes to the new work I'm doing in your life. Open your eyes to the plan that I have for you. Open your eyes to the things I want to do for you. And then he reminds us again later there in verse 25 of Isaiah 43. He says, I, yes, I alone, he says, I'm the only one capable of this, will blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. There it is again, an unlimited God limiting himself to make a way for our failure. The problem is that guilt and shame that we will just not let go, that burden. David wrote about it, Psalm 38, 4. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You see, God says, I've removed your sin as far away as the east is from the west. The problem is we're still a prisoner to it, and so we're still chasing it, which makes us just run in circles. God says, no, let it go. God says, I'll remove it. I'll bury it deeper than the deepest trench in the ocean. The problem is, is that we're drowning ourselves because as God buries that, we're going with it because we won't let go. We won't embrace the forgiveness that God has given us. can't forgive ourselves and it it keeps us from from growing closer to God it keeps us from serving it keeps us from being a part of life groups because we say I'm not good enough what do people say understand having wisdom it doesn't mean you made all the right choices being successful doesn't mean that you've never failed 
Quite the contrary. It means that you've learned from your failures. That in the midst of your failure, you chose not to give up. And you pushed on. And you learned from it. And you did something about it. I love within the student ministry. I love having ministry partners who are mentoring students who have a past. I love, I love ministry partners who have failure in their lives. Because when they encounter someone who's hurting, they can say, I've been there. I know what you're going through. When they encounter someone who has failed, they can lift them up and say, look what God did in my life. God wants to use you. Truth number four, not everyone is talking about you, even though it feels that way. See, failure just, it breeds this fear of rejection. It makes us feel unworthy, and as a result, we begin to to worry that everyone's looking at us, that everyone's judging us. Listen, I want you to understand that here at Fellowship of the Rockies, that we embrace failure, that we embrace people who have failed, Because this church, this pastoral staff is full of people who bear the scars of failure in their own lives. We've been there, but we've seen what God can do. And so you never have to be ashamed. You never have to worry what people are saying. Because this is a place where failures come to be used by God. Man, I wish I had time to share the stories with you of all the people who who have been just, man, they've been burdened by shame and guilt, and they've just been buried under the weight of their failure. But they've come here, and they've received grace and mercy, and as a result, their life has changed forever. Man, when you separate yourself from the relationships that you so desperately need, man, you keep yourself from overcoming failure. You keep yourself from getting the help you need. Number five, the last truth. Your failure may follow you, but it does not define you. I mean, I wonder sometimes as I, was, as I was preparing for this sermon, the thought crossed my mind. I wonder if when pastors start talking about Rahab and they bring up the whole you know, New Testament verses where James and, and, and Paul had to write in and add in Rahab the prostitute. I wonder if up in heaven, if she kind of walks over and is like, really guys, really? Did you have to put in there that I was a prostitute? Couldn't you have just left that part out? I mean, Faith Hall of Fame, and you've got to let everyone know I was a prostitute. <laughs> but I think Jesus, at that moment, comes across and says, Rab, I told him to put it there. Because that's the best part. Because it shows that I can use failures. It shows that you became a hero despite your past failure, despite the shame and guilt. That's what makes your story so great. I believe he would say the same thing to us that he says, you know what? People may look at you and they may remind you of that failure and it may follow you, but understand that's not who you are. Understand that does not define you. You do not have to be held prisoner any longer to your past. Because I'm going to do something new. Craig Rochelle, I love this. He's a pastor at New Life uh, Life Church in Oklahoma City. And he says, every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Man. And then he reminds us, he says, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. 
You see, God, God says, I know what you've done, and I can still use you. I know what you're doing right now, and I can still use you. And all those people you look at and think have such a great life, and they're so perfect, man, they've been there too. Man, don't allow the past to control your future. Let it help you live a stronger life. Let it drive you to help others, to keep them from making the same mistakes that you made. Man, your failure, man, it's a, it's a painful reminder of what God has done in your life. Man, but never forget that he's going to use it to shape your future. You see, realize that, that God is in the business of giving new names. And in his eyes, you're no longer a failure. You see, in his eyes, you have a new name. You're a new person. You have a fresh start. You see, we've got to understand that on the cross, when Jesus died for us, Scripture tells us that he took our sins, our failure, upon him. He took it and he bore it on the cross. So we didn't have to. He says, your immorality... I take it. He says, your failure, it's mine. He says, your addiction, no more. It's mine. He says, those, those standards you didn't live up to, no more. Put them on me. You don't bear that burden anymore. Those mistakes you've made, they don't define you anymore. He says, you're clean. You're whole. You're a new person. You have a fresh start. I have taken it all. But understand, it just doesn't stop there. Because he says, not only have I taken it all, he says, I've given you new names. I've given you new labels. He says, that sin, that failure, that past, forgiven. He says, because of my eyes, you're my beloved child who I care deeply for and who I pursue with a passionate love. He says, I chose you. I chose you in your deep, deepest, darkest moment. I chose to die for you so that you didn't have to bear that failure. He says, you're my, my masterpiece, the crown jewel of my creation, everything I designed you to be. Don't listen to what the world says anymore. You're perfect in my eyes. Oh, he says, you are free free from the pain and hurt, free from the shame and guilt, free from the, to live the life that I have called you to live. You're no longer in bondage. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer a prisoner to your failure. You're a new person and you're free. He says, understand that all of this, you are my hero. You are my hero. As precious in my eyes as any biblical character. Some of you here today, you're still carrying around the burden of your failure because you've never, you've never surrendered to God. You've never given your life completely and totally to him. 
and said, God, I know I'm a sinner and, and, and I believe that you died on the cross for me and I want you to come into my life and I want you to, to make me a new person. I give everything to you. You've never made the decision to follow him with everything that you are. Man, I encourage you, I beg you, I challenge you today. Let today be the day that you accept God's forgiveness do you accept his mercy, do you accept his grace, and that you receive freedom from your failure, from your burdens, from your sin, that you receive a new life from God. Some of you here today, you've accepted that. There's a point in a time in your life when you gave it all to God, when you left your failures on the cross. And, and, and you know that you are his child, that you are chosen, that you are free. You're his hero. But the problem is, is that you keep coming back here and you keep taking these failures and you keep putting them back on because you can't get over it. Because you can't let go of that pain and that hurt. You can't accept the forgiveness God has given you. And so you keep dragging your past along with you. If that's you today, let me challenge you. Don't, don't leave here today with that failure. Give it to God. Lay it at his feet. Don't carry that burden anymore. God wants you to be a hero. He wants to do amazing things in your life. Each and every one of you here, no matter your past, no matter what you're going through right now, God says, I have a plan for you. But you have to be willing to, to let go of the failure and embrace the future.